Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein, and it's my privilege to be studying with you the last few pages of this incredibly rich and complex, interesting tractate Ketubot. We're at Ketubot, Kuf Aleph, Amud Aleph, Amud Bet, page 101, A and B. This is the last page of chapter 11, Almanani Zonet. And this last page discusses the last Mishnah of the chapter. The Mishnah brings up three cases of marriages that end in which the uh, woman does not receive payment of the Ketubah. Each of these cases has something different about them. First is a, an orphan girl who was married off as a minor. And she's married off not by her father, who has the right to marry her off according to the Torah, but by her mother or brothers. And her marriage is therefore only valid be, uh, by rabbinic enactment. And she can end that marriage as a mima'enet, which means someone who refuses. When she gets to be uh, of age, she can decide that she does not want to stay in the marriage. And automatically the marriage is nullified completely. The second case is the case of shnia. Shnia means a second degree prohibition created by the rabbis with regard to uh, sexual relations and marriages. And in such a case, marriage is ended with a divorce document, but without payment of a ketubah. The third case is ailonit. Ailonit means a woman who has not developed uh, sufficiently in terms of her sexual characteristics to be able to have children. This is a considered a marriage under false pretenses. We assume that the man did not know that the woman was of that uh, uh, state, and uh, had he known, he never would have married her. So when it becomes clear that she is an ailonit, if he decides to divorce her, he's not obligated to pay her a ketubah. These cases bring up certain questions about the rights of each of the parties in, this re- in these relationships. For example, the Mama Enet, does she not get her ketubah because the marriage is not really a real marriage? Or does she not get the ketubah because she has decided to end the marriage on her own? What would happen if, as a minor, she were divorced by her husband rather than deciding to end the marriage on her accord? Would she get a ketubah then? So this becomes an issue of dispute. Furthermore, the Mishnah tells us that these three cases are instances where other rights that would normally be given to the woman are also forfeited or are removed. And we have to understand what happens with regard to them as well. For instance, blaot. Blaot means the worn-out property that the woman has brought into the marriage at the beginning, and now the marriage has lasted for a while, 
and some of the property that she brought into the marriage has been used by her husband. And what about the wear and tear on that stuff? Is the husband at the end of the marriage liable to pay back to his uh, now ex-wife the value or the property itself? And the Mishnah says that these three cases are cases where Bala'ot, the worn-out property, is not going back to the wife. And the Talmud discusses, does this apply to all kinds of property that the woman has brought into the marriage, or only some kinds? There are two basic categories. There's what's called Nichsei Tzon Barzel and Nichsei Miluk. Nichsei Tzon Barzel means solid property. That means that its value stays stable from the moment that it comes into the marriage until it, such time as it is returned to the woman. Then there's Nechsei Melug. Nechsei Melug means that it is property which can be used by the husband during the time of the marriage, but its value will fluctuate. So if the value of the property goes down during the time of the marriage, the woman loses the, that value. If the value goes up, she gains. She will never lose, but she will never gain. The value stays stable. And the Talmud then struggles with understanding how much of an ownership is retained by the woman of this property during the marriage. Do we see the, the property as in some way transferred to the husband because of the fact that he can use the property and that he may not have to make good the rise of value or the fall of value of the property? Or do we say that, no, it really is her property all the time. It's just that the husband has certain rights that we give him for the duration of the marriage. And this becomes a complicated question. It becomes a textual question uh, as well. The issue of the identity of a person with regard to their property when do the rabbis intervene and penalize somebody through their property uh, because of something that they have done wrong? And when do the rabbis stand by person's right to their property and make sure that that property is restored to them is a ticklish question in our sugya. On Amud Bet, we have a discussion about a Ishashazinta. What happens if we have a case where a woman has been unfaithful during the marriage and as a result the marriage has to be broken up? Does she lose the worn-out property that she brought into the marriage? It's there. She brought in furniture. It's a little beat up, but it's still there. She's brought in clothing. It has some wear and tear, but it's still there. Does she lose the blaot in the same manner that, for instance, a forbidden marriage, a Shniyah, in our Mishnah, is said to lose her blood. So one opinion is recorded as saying that we punish her for her sins by taking away her property. But Rav Nachman objects, and he says, If she has been unfaithful, have her clothing utensils, property, also been unfaithful? Why punish them? 
So he claims that she does not lose her right to her property. But it's interesting the way that he puts it. He says that to deprive her of her property would be to punish her property. We are punishing her by ending the marriage that she has been uh, unfaithful within. But why should we take away her property? To do so would be a punishment of her property. There's a kind of personification or a kind of imbuing of human feeling into the property and assuming that the property has a sense of connection to its owner and that by separating the property from its owner we will be causing harm to the property. In such a way he maintains that our connection with our property in some way is a living connection which is inherent to our identity, the personality that we have is a personality that infuses our property as well. And many of us, I think, can uh, attest to that reality and to that truth. The objects that we accumulate, the spaces that we establish for ourselves, the homes that we make, very often breathe and live very much in a way that speaks of our own existence. Rav Nachman is sensitive to that even in that case. And the tradition has decided that Rav Nachman's position is authoritative. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.